Last time on Heralds of Tiamat. The Faerun Fixers found themselves able to make a straightaway for the temple nestled between the small mountains on the back of this monstrosity. As they made their trek, they decided to try to travel over a body of water instead of heading through what seemed to be a suspicious set of plateaus. As they came across the water, they ran into a spirit naga that seemed to be creating some strange snake-like horrors in the water. Not being able to communicate with it properly or effectively circumvent it, a battle ensued. As the combat continued, they managed to defeat the creature and its horrors. With a little to no damage, the parent fixtures decided that they will press on into the mountains, and as they did, they climbed, discovering that this part of the small set of mountains didn't have the same markings as the front half did. I guess not everything is the same out here. But as they reached the plateau and got a good look at the temple, they saw something. It seemed that the Yuan-Ti and snake folk there didn't seem to have any concern about the Hydra that they killed the day before. However, there was some concern as they all were staring at the sky and what fell from it. Farron Fixer saw this massive, seemingly one piece metal suited creature construct likely plummet from the sky landing and crushing the ground beneath it floating just slightly after its impact it hovers up the steps towards the crystal that they plan to take from these you want to what is this construct what does it do why is it here fairing fixtures watch closely attempt to hear what is going on in the passage below, catching faint drifts of conversation. Why? says the Yuan-Ti. Nightmare speaker. Why is there a pursuer here? she says. And the moment she says that, the Farron Fixers look more curious. What is a pursuer? And that is when Corellia makes eye contact with it. It turns its head and its red single glowing eye in the construct's facade seems to see the Farron Fixers from the distance that they are. They would have to be little more than a mile away, maybe even more. But it unerringly seemed to look exactly at their position. Corellia screams, incoming, getting a sinking and it instinctual feeling that it's going to show up right and as she says it it appears in front of Nico this massive shield bearing and great blade swinging individual has found the very fixers and that is when they realize that this is a creature that wit warned them about it is an unkillable immortal construct that hunts down those who steal from the ancient dragons of the mythic and herald variety. 
the fairy pictures have their luck running out with this beast. But hopefully, they can stop it. Or if it is immortal, it means it can be stopped. It just can't be stopped permanently. A fight ensues, and a battle rages. The, the fairy pictures realize that half of their group can't even harm the creature, while the other half are barely wearing it down. However, its choice in targets, Nico, seem to be a poor one, as its attacks don't seem to land on Nico's well-done armor and magical defenses. It is like watching two two foes attack with immovable defense and unstoppable force. As they swing and batter each other, attempting to harm one another, the fern pictures take advantage of its singular nature and attack, eventually wearing it down and killing the creature. Seeing it dissipate into the ground, Vistari attempts to capture it in her book. And that is when she realizes that her book was nearly taken with it. The creature is made of pure adamantine, and its purpose is to take back the magical items and magical objects that were taken. It is likely built to do such things to when magical objects touch it. Vistari, luckily passing away, it, and the rest of the fairy fixtures realizing that if that thing comes back and picks someone who isn't very defensive, it will kill them quite quickly. Hopefully, they'll be able to deal with what they're doing with before it does. As they look down at the the temple, defeating the pursuer and winded but not weakened, they decide to rush the temple. Another battle ensues, one right after the other. The Farron Fixers are feeling adventurous. And as they come down on them, they are met with magic and arrows, poison, poison and blades. But they succeed. They wear down the weaker foes and the magic users, and then the tanks as they finally decide to focus on them. They realize that. They are just here to defend the Guardian Naga, the large serpentine creature that seemed to be guarding the crystal. As it falls, the rest of the larger foes decide to scatter, realizing that they do not need to be there anymore. Another victory in the Farron Fixers is built. High on their on their wins, they decide to take a moment, relax, and use the temple as their base. The crystal seems to be a problem, as it is, seems to be the flight control crystal, much larger than the flight crystal that they have on themselves. They decide to take a gamble, summoning Nablus, the demon Chasme that they have contracted with, to take the two crystals with him when he disappears, and when they call him back, to bring them back to them. He agrees to this, seeming to not want to be... A pack animal, but at the very least, he is contracted to help, and if this helps, he will do it. With that, the Farron Fixers wait. Long rest, and many discussions are had about how they are going to reach the final temple, and what are they going to do if they run into Anelli's people. We'll see what happens next time on 
Heralds of Tiavat. The Final Temple. Last time on Heralds of Tiamat. Family. The Varen Fixers found themselves finishing up a long rest, using the time during it to interrogate a captured Yuan Ti. This captured Yuan Ti explained the situation to them, as well as their own position. They apparently are not part of the same sect as the Nelly, but were not necessarily willing individuals in being moved here to the Draco Islands. It seems that one of the sects have a heavy influence with Vecna, and this has only accelerated the process, as they've been here for six months, and it seems all scaled individuals, including troglodytes and lizard folk and ULT, have been brought to various locations where Shale Abenoctran can use them to his benefit. Things only got worse when three months ago an apostle of his, a very powerful dragonborn-like individual from the Hells, started doing experimentations with the various scaled humanoids on the island, creating hydras from their bodies and using the magical crystals from the endowed to create even more dangerous hydras, like the Mage Eater and the Flying Draco Hydra. Exhausting the information they know they decide to let the prisoner leave, knowing that they are a victim of circumstance and that they can find their own way in life, even if they can't escape their fate. The Farron Fixers decide to turn out towards the final temple and begin their search. Deftly exiting the mountains behind the temple they're at, they reach several pillars that seem to have massive, titanic, snake-like boas wrapped around them. They garner one of their ire and are chased through the forest, losing valuable time and almost being eaten. Managing to finally escape the creature, the Faroon fixers decide to head towards the fog clouds as it seems to be the best option or likely place to hide a temple. Upon reaching there, they are met with a song, a strange musical tone that seems to have been brought about by the slowing fog. The fog seems to produce some type of slowing effect on people and the music seems to be enchanting. But, unfortunately for them, they were too late to realize that it was a hydra making strange tones and voices with its various heads, seeming to be created like a musical instrument. The creature was being sung to by a Yuanti cobra-headed individual that Anelli seemed to recognize. She called him Utsu, and as she began to approach to make sure it is who she thought it was, he noticed them. Seeming surprised and excited, he controlled the Hydra to some degree, keeping it from becoming hostile immediately, and approached the Farron Fixers, speaking with Anelli privately in Abyssal about other projects and things concerning her family. The Farron Fixers asked him various questions first off on how to defeat the Hydra behind him. His suggestions were useful, and as they found out, the creature was quite deft at hiding and attacking. While not strong, was meant to be more of a support Hydra, a creature that would help the armies of Shelvanactrin survive his own lair actions. 
the music of the creature was supposed to fight off the weeping's effects to some degree, providing the degradation to be slower. Hence the charming effect that the Farron Fictress felt upon hearing its strange tunes. Upon more information, they find out from Utsu that the temple that they are going to is not far from here, but it is also heavily trapped. The Apostle is aware that there are people stealing his crystals, and he wants them caught. Using the last temple as bait, he's set up several runes and magical devices that will summon the rest of his hydra to the location to hopefully pincer and kill the group of individuals that have been taking his crystals. With that, the Farron Fixers are well aware that they are walking into a trap, and they need to be careful. Utsu makes it clear that his sect is going to try to stay out of their way, but won't be able to do much if they don't want to be killed by their own. Marking their individuals separately with a strange orange tag, Utsu runs off back into the forest, back to the temple to tell the others of what's going on. Hopefully, he doesn't betray them. As the Farron Fixers turn on the Hydra, they engross in a terrible battle. The creature seems deft at hiding and its camouflage ability superior, making it seem to phase in and out of the space it's in. Hiding and tongue lashing and bringing enemies closer to it and attacking them individually seem to be its repertoire. However, the Farron Fixers found a way to damage it heartily. The creature seems to be vulnerable to thunder damage. Poetic, some would say. With Corellia finishing off the beast with a giant chromatic orb of thunder, the creature is felled and destroyed. With its defeat, they turn their heads on the temple and travel forth to find out if the trap laid before them will be one that ensnares them, or will they manage to take the crystals in time and escape back into the forest. We'll find out what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat, the final temple. Heralds of Tiamat, the final temple. The Farron Fixers found themselves outside the last temple that held the flight crystal that they needed to take the endowed off of this moving monstrosity. However, they were informed by Utsu that there is traps set to lure them inside and trap them inside while the Hydra the remaining three are summoned to fight and kill the remaining party members. Knowing this, the group decides to try to knock out some of the outside patrols and dispatch them as quickly as they can, but resistance seems to be more than they bargained for. Fighting them slowly and not entering the temple for quite some time, one of the Hydra is summoned. Worry mounting, the Farron Fixers manage to kill a couple and get inside the temple, yet another Hydra is summoned. As they move on the temple, not fast but inevitable, the Farron Fixers are realizing that their situation is slowly becoming worse. Xion pinned outside, Motsu and, and Bex dropped under various hypnotic patterns and other members not being able to maneuver fast enough to the area where the crystal may or may not be. 
The last summoning circle pulses. Thanks to Motu's quick thinking, he attempts to dispel the circle. However, only the, the dispel magic effect only suppresses the effects and gave them an extra bit of time. However, it was not long enough. Razanelli realized that dealing with what was inside the temple was far more easy than dealing with what's coming out and being summoned. She boosts inside, only to hear the roars of the six-headed and final third Hydra, the Draco Hydra, to appear on the outskirts of the temple. Its massive form and winged body is familiar to the Farron fixtures that they've seen this creature before, and is the Apostle's favorite creation. The creature has six heads, and each seem to blow out to different forms of elemental energies. Thunder, ice, fire, lightning, poison, cold. All these blasts of energies hit simultaneously. Vishtari and unfortunate Nico get hit with the brunt of four breath attacks. Being knocked unconscious and being barely brought up by their fellow members, Motu and Bex also take a brunt of two of the last two blows of of mighty breath attacks. And as they realize that this creature is more than what they can bear and that they have taken too long to retrieve the crystal, they decide to take a gamble. It seems that the magic circles that these creatures came out of are still active, and that maybe, just maybe, they're two-way. The Farron fixtures begin their, their escape, grouping together and just barely making it past the enemy that is hot on their heels and attacking them. And Nelly manages to throw the crystal through the wall and get it onto the other side of the temple, dragging it slowly but surely to the portal. While Vistari and Nico pick up what's left of their their broken bodies and make their way to the final circle. Vistari is caught in a dangerous spot as she doesn't know if it's worth it to take the one that everyone's going to or going to a new one. Taking the risks, she decides to head out with the rest of the group while Motu and Bex go through a series of transformations trying to best make their movement as opportunist and quickly as possible while Nico fends off the Hydra's attacks barely blasting through them with their tough armor managing to make it to the end where the group members start heading through the circle one by one and the Hydra following behind Nico decides to be brave and wait for everyone to enter the circle first Shion then Anelli then Corellia then Jax then Motsu then Bex Shion waits for Vishtari to go and realizes that they're all alone and all the creatures are coming for them. Vishtari's quick thinking grabs Nico in the last moments and takes him out into the circle. They escape with their lives into a venomous, destroyed ruin that seems to be the likely lair of one of those hydras that they saw at the final temple. Tired and worried, the group decides to push on into the forest, away from this location, so that they don't have to worry about the Hydra coming back, and so they can take a long rest. 
Getting a lot good and lost in the forest, they set up camp in the hunting stand and rest for the night. We'll see what happens next time. Oh, Heralds of Tiamat. Hunted and Hunters. Last time on Heralds of Tiamat. Hunters and Hunted. The Farron Fixers, narrowly escaping their situation at the final temple, now had a problem at hand. They needed to dispatch the last three Hydra if they found any way to truly defeat the Apostle of Shale. Hoping that the combat with them and the anathema will be much easier while the Apostle is unable to summon its more dangerous creations. Taking this initiative, they decide to head out to locations that they may think where the other Hydras lay. Finding a Zemi Hydra, the one that's breathed strange thunderous energy. And as the fight began, in the foot of a gold tree, an enemy appeared in hot pursuit. The pursuer was upon them, and now they had a dangerous fight. While the Hydra did not seem too much of a threat, it was difficult to kill, as they did not know what abilities and magical damage needed to be done. And they know all too well that the pursuer's choice is singular and dangerous. Luckily enough for them, Vex was chosen out of the Farron Fixers, and she happens to be the beefiest. Taking the blows and the brunts of the attacks, the pursuer seems to realize it is at a disadvantage. Not being able to reliably land a blow on Vex, he decides to go a different route, using magical abilities to effectively befuddle or harm Vex in one way or another forcing them to make constitution, wisdom, intelligence, decks, and even strength saves. However, Vex, with the support of the other players, manages to avoid being done in by these abilities. And while the other half of the team manages to dispatch the Hydra, they finally wear down and defeat the Pursuer. However, the amount of time it took and energy was pure luck as the Farron Fixers realize that this creature will keep coming for them every time they destroy it. And if one of the times they fix somebody that uh, might not be able to survive its onslaught, they may not survive long after. That being said, and the worries amounting, they decide to take a short rest. <laughs> Some others who were less damage from the conflict decided to forgo that and head straight for the tree exchanging quite a bit of their gold for platinum that seemed to be in the shining mist of the leaves of the tree taking some quick checks and managing to switch out quite a bit of gold for platinum the Farron Fixers finally decide on what they're going to do next with one hydra down and two over to remain They'll head to the Venom 
hideout that they saw before, hoping to run into the venomous hydra there. As they do, luckily enough for them, they are clever and get the hydra to patrol out of its space, out of its place of power, and lead it a bit away from its current location. And with that, well, Jack seemed to come upon it in a way that was unprecedented, harming it and snapping one of its necks and damaging its body heavily. Farron Pictures decide to capitalize on this critical moment and wipe out the Hydra in a single round of six seconds. It was a feat unbeknownst to them and to their own power, boostering their somewhat shattered egos and worries for a short time with the excitement of an easy victory. As short-lived as it was, the Farron Pictures realized that they're going to have to find the final Hydra and fight it. Once that's done, the final battle will begin. We'll find out what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat, the final Hydra. Last time on Heralds of Tiamat, the final Hydra. The Farron Fixers found themselves not too far from the last place they saw the Hydra emerge from. While they did come in contact with it in the final temple, this Hydra's location is less obvious. As they head to the lake where they saw the whirlpool release the creature, they ran into part of the thickest part of this jungle that they've ever encountered, almost losing an entire day to the circumstance. The Baron Fixers pulling through and with some excellent navigation and survival from Motsu managed to get to near the shoreline without exhaustion. As they reached the shoreline, there was a conundrum. There was no guarantee that this area would keep them from transporting, and going back to the tree line would guarantee that they would teleport again. The party enters a long discussion about whether or not they should turn back and try to see if they appear closer another day. However, the more days they spend out here, the more likely they are to, f to fall to the weeping. So they decide to try to skirt the line, stay close to the shore, but also close to the forest. And while this is going on, they realize that the lake itself seems to be patrolled by strange water serpents. Elemental in nature, but clearly constructs, the creatures pass through quite often, maybe every 30 minutes to an hour. The Farron Fixtures, not interested in getting in a conflict before the Hydra shows, try to avoid them and use their best judgment to wait out and try another long rest. As they do, they manage to find out how the strange water serpents work. They seem to make currents pass through this lake, and the currents themselves seem to clash into each other, making the water difficult to even cross over, and probably even more dangerous under. That being said, the Farron Fixers decided to try to walk the shoreline and see if they could find another way, or at the very least, 
the Draco Hydra to emerge itself. As they reached one of the pinnacles of the part of the lake, they saw a strange current that seemed to be colliding with the water snake currents. It was hard to see from the angle before on the side of the lake, but this time it seems to go in a direct line towards the whirlpool deep in the other side of the lake. This is ominous, while at the same time, good. The Farron fixtures figure that this must mean that there must be something important here and the Hydra is guarding it. As it is the theme with the rest of this location, they decide to try to follow across the water and reach the location where this current is leading. The water is difficult terrain and they are trying to avoid fighting the water snakes. And as they do, the creature appears. Six-headed, all whispering voices of fire. Crush, ice, burn. The heads argue and fight as they appear out of the whirlpool and causing the waters to become more tumultuous. The flying creature descends upon the Farron fixtures who have just enough time to choose between running towards the shoreline or fighting it across the water. They realize that running to the shoreline would likely trigger some of the serpents, and they would be fighting not only the Hydra, but likely those water serpents. Deciding to fight it on its own terms, the Farron Fixers engage. A hard-fought battle is commencing. The Hydra seems to have six breath attacks. Thunder, ice, fire, poison, acid, and lightning. All of which it can use at least once a day, causing it to be able to harm many of the frame fixtures simultaneously. But good thing for them that they managed to spread out and keep the damage to a minimum. However, they did not realize that it had other features. The creature's prismatic nature seems to have some strange magical reaction. When it is attacked, a field goes around it that sometimes blocks magic and magical projectiles, even normal projectiles, and crossing the threshold seems to cause immense pain of various types of elemental damage. This damage and danger caused the Fern Fixtures to be more wary and most of them to be in a safe distance. However, realizing that their range attacks don't always work and having some of their members go down, they fought with desperate efficiency to try to defeat this creature. Realizing that Elements of the six heads, if used, seem to overcharge the creature, as it seems to have some type of strange affinity with the elements. Using their various abilities and trying to coordinate to the best of their ability in a mid-conflict, they manage to hit each of the heads except for one with their respective elements, and one manages to get stunned by their monk. With that, and the creature's body slowly failing on itself, and Nelly. Misty steps to the top of it and using the thunderous power of her sensor, comes down on the beast. As it tries to tear her apart limb from limb from its back, she fends them off and slams the creature one at a time, crushing the heads and slamming them into the ground that slowly begins to come up as the creature falls from the sky and plummets deep into the water, swept into the current, gone and likely dead.
The Farron Fixers, rejoicing in their victory for a short time, realize that they need to go. They don't know what happened to the body, and they can't guarantee that Shale's apostle, Steins, won't be able to bring it back. Getting to the endowed as quickly as possible is the only way. They rush and run, pushing exhaustion, which some of them get, and they manage to make it back to the forsaken village. And as they do, they are greeted by Gehenna and Ignis, which is strange because Gehenna has only met the Farron Fixers upon the endowed. She begins to inform them of the peril that they face. It is clear that Steins is not interested in letting them leave. On top of that, he is prepared to fight them himself. That being said, the Farron Fixers are trying to figure out their best strategy and convince Gehenna to fight with them. Gehenna is not convinced of the situation, as she is lackadaisical and, more or less, chill. She does not have a fondness for dying, and makes it very clear that killing Steins is possible with her help, but he does have assistance of an anathema. This is a creature Nelly has been searching, Jaden, her old shaman and leader of her tribe. Twisted and changed, the creature is dangerous and can transform into larger snake-like creatures that are very dangerous. Not only that, Magahenna makes it clear after learning from Anelli that it is powered by Vecna that it likely has magical fortitude and powers that they do not know. One of which may be that it can hold multiple concentrations. While Steins himself is a powerful devil that likely can warp the abilities and features of certain characters and that they need to be wary of what they use against him. Not only that, but upon further discussion, the party figures something out. There's something missing. There's someone missing. The anathema is here, and it's related to Nelly. Steins is here, but he's related to Shale and to the temple the silent water temple itself but Motsu Motsu's people were here Motsu's people have been attacked and taken over by a creature in the abyss the self-proclaimed lizard emperor where's his stake in all this not being one to be flanked the Farron Fixers decide to call upon their trusty summon Nabalus, a chasman of powerful renown in the abyss, who then begins to explain that it is possible that the lizard emperor himself has created an army and is interested in taking advantage of the, of the material plane's fragile state. But there's no guarantees. But through Motu's explanation of what's going on, as well as his own god's intervention in the situation, Nabalus firmly believes that there is likely going to be a warlock or cleric of Enek, the self-proclaimed lizard emperor of the abyss, the demon lord, in this next conflict. Knowing all the cards, the Farron Fixers plan and try to figure out how they're best going to approach and attack the endowed. We'll see what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat. A villainous ending.
Last time on Heralds of Tiamat, a villainous ending. The Farron Fixers were trying to make the best of a bad situation. Their enemies, Steins, the Apostle of Shalabanoctran, and the creator of the Abomination Hydra on this island. The Anathema, Jaden, the Shaman of Anelli's tribe, and a mystery demon who is hailing from the self-proclaimed Lizard Emperor and mortal enemy of Simuya and by proxy, Motsu. These three figures wait on the ship, the endowed, for the inevitable showing of the Faerun Fixers, as it is their only way off the island. As they muster up the courage to search out and head into the forest, they decide to stay on the edge of the swaths of forest and not risk being seen by trying to get too close to the boat itself. While narrowly avoiding being seen the first go around, their second attempt did not go so well. With some blundering from some of their fellows, Gehenna had to make a distraction while on the boat. Singing very loudly and very sorrowfully, she got the attention of those individuals on the boat. And managed to let the Farron Fixers get just a bit closer to the tree line. Nearly 200 feet away from the boat, not as close as they want to be, but as close as they're probably going to be, Farron Fixers prepared themselves to leap out and rush the ship. However, they are stopped by a peculiar conversation happening upon it. A strange lizard folk with a dragon bone staff that seems to be twisted and made into what seems to be a dragon-like rod or scepter. Motu realizes that it is the staff he gave his shaman, and this lizard folk might be a demon, or at the very least, an emissary of it. Motu realizes that his people have likely been taken or overcome as that staff is the one he gave to his shaman before the great fall of his area and lands to the draconic invasion of the desolation. Not knowing what this means, he, he listens carefully as the conversation with Steins goes a little interesting. The creature lizard folk says that he will be attempting to drop off some more test subjects for Steins to use and while Steins does seem to have some issues sending one of their warlocks to assist him is a small price. The warlock appears in a blue skinned strangely etched and spiny lizard folk person in, in unnatural in nature demon like and likely a very dangerous creature as it finally shows up and looks around taking a position of defenses the conversation with the strange lizard folk person comes to an end and steins immediately starts another conversation one that 
The fan fixtures didn't know if they wanted to try to attack him during or wait to see what it was about. Erring on caution, they decide to wait. And as they do, they get to witness two other strangely draconic dragonborn-like creatures. Two females, to be specific. One of purple and languorous materials, beautiful skin and opulent wear. And another, dressed in a very shadow-like, very quiet garb. A red dragonborn female of small and diminutive stature. But their eyes, their eyes portray disrespect, condescension, and looking down on Steins from their aforementioned strange communication, holographic in nature. The conversation seems to be that of two more important creatures and one lesser one. As the conversation went on, they spoke of an invitation that was inside of Shale's water temple, and that if these adventurers have it, it is fortuitous for them to be killed and it to be taken from them, as they are trying to get into Pelus's lands, and the only way to do that, the only way to circumvent his territory, is to use said invitation. Not only that, but the fact that only a single adventurer group is doing damage to his hydras and the like means that Steins needs to pick up the pace and do better work. Otherwise, his master will be told of his failures. Steins seeming to grimace at these worrisome thoughts as well as the opportunity to make amends by taking these adventurers and the invitation they have in their possession. He ends the conversation with promises and hopefulness. And with that... The Farron Fixers lean out and prepare to strike, but before they do, thinking they can get just a bit closer, the strange demon warlock, the lizard folk twisted by the lizard emperor's powers, hones in on their area, seemingly to be able to pick Motsu out without even seeing him, sensing his direction as if his whole being is a beacon to be eradicated he screams out the grave oracle of Samui and a battle ensues conflict is had and the Farron fixers strike trying to use Vistari's earth wave to get as close as possible but unfortunately stopped by the massive terrain and the magical abilities of Steins himself while this is happening, Gehenna betrays Steins and manages to keep the anathema on its back, harming it greatly, but unfortunately taking massive blows and attacks from Steins. As this is occurring, the Farron Fixers are fighting off the infiltrators and managing to deal with the strange, small, and diminutive Hydra that Steins apparated from nowhere, a creature that they ran into in the, in the jungle and did not seem too dangerous. While Steins is frustrated with one of his lesser creations, the fan pictures manage to get onto the boat. The battle ensuing and becoming more heated, and Nelly manages to finally fell the anathema along with Gehenna's help and learning a very important piece of information. And as the anathema dies and its body disintegrates, the form 
of Jaden, the original shaman of her tribe, is there for a brief moment, confused and worried and fading. But seeing Ineli manages to get out some words, some quick voicing. He tells her to seek out her father and the Black Prism. With that done in the anathema defeated, Corellia manages to quickly dispatch the warlock demon with a carefully placed bow shot that seems to ricochet through its head and through its body. With that creature defeated and melting into the ether, Motu climbs onto the ship as a bear and begins his conflict with Steins, being the last thing on this island as a threat to his people and an abomination to Samuya himself. The engagement is swift and deadly as he is thrown off and Steins begins to properly take these ne'er-do-well adventurers seriously. Fending them off one by one, spectrally binding them to certain places and flinging them off in different directions, he is handing them their asses. And as he is damaging them and harming them, they manage to get a quick second wind. As this does, the battle seems to tide and turn as Steins is overwhelmed by the amount of adventurers, cursing and yelling at his misfortune of being attacked in such a way and that his allies being too weak to assist him he is finally taking a blast from Gehenna's flail and lastly is defeated by getting his neck snapped off by Shion's powerful legs and as his head rolls to the side the Farron Fixer is breathing heavy and witnessing something strange he's still talking he says that this is merely a setback and that he will find them. And when he does, they will lose. And as his body melts into ice, Gehenna screams in anger and anguish that he was merely a simulacrum. This clearly shows why he was a lesser and was not the true apostle. This being a worry for another time, the Farron Fixers quickly deal with whatever types of careful planning is needed to get the ship off of the ground. Still tired and beaten and bruised from the battle, they manage to get the ship into the air, moving the sails around and assigning gunners and navigators so that they can quickly deal with the defenses of the island as massive great tentacles rise up from its sides and reach out to destroy the endowed. They manage to fend them off and navigate quickly around them. Barely escaping its its jaws, the Farron Fixers finally take a breath, relax and see themselves hundreds of feet in the air in the weeping, escaped from the Draco Island, only to hear the soft distant scream of Gehenna at the end of the ship that crescendos to a loud yell dragon as a white and blue and red incandescent dragon falls onto the ship many do not realize who it is until it's almost too late as Gehenna strikes to attack and Nico goes in for a blow the fan realize it's Atrophy in her dragon like form 
tired and bruised, but still, but still curious about the ship that has came out of the Draconic Island. Atrophe lays out a blow to Nico, and Gehenna is suddenly stopped by Vistari, and the tent situation finally dissolves. And as it does, they look around, confused and worried, and explain the situation to Gehenna and to Nico, not necessarily knowing what to do forward. And as they're coming to grips with it, and feeling like they can rest finally, a strange ticking comes from Bex. Bex searches their body, and as the ticking gets louder, and looks at their spectral watch of succession that they got from the the Feywild and from Mr. Witch. Instinctively, Bex can feel the, the clock's meaning and realization. She only has 24 hours before she is returned to the Feywild. And we'll see what happens next time on Heralds of Tiamat, The Raveyard.